no because tables. No tables. No chi-squares, no yeah, nothing. Yeah, no chi-squares, no nothing because you don't see the story. So now we've got all these successful steps and... <laughs> We are moving on to part four, which is how do we actually show the change that we're making and convince people that this is a good change and so we want to spread it? Oh, data. <laughs> right? This is what we're all trained in, the scientific method. We're what? P-values and power value powers and ends of a thousand. You don't need that in QI. And frankly, you're not going to get it ever. So there are a few key tools. One is called a run chart and the other one is called a control chart. So for, for your expectations, we just want you to do run charts and just show the data over time. And so this is the key thing. This is not a pre and post like we mentioned before. This is a, well... It's not even just a pre and post. It's a pre, 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 pre. Is that a seven pre's? Yeah. And then post, 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 post ad nauseum. And so what I mean by that is in quality improvement, let's say you get some data today as your baseline. Is that going to be really reflective of what's actually happening or is that just a random Tuesday data? So the ideal in quality improvement is to get what we call a baseline comprised of at least seven data points. Then you have confidence to show that's your baseline from which you're going to have forward progress. Then every week, every month, however you're collecting data, you can plot your outcomes on that run chart. So let me back up. So let's say I have, I started my interventions or PDSAs and I have three dots going up in a row. Did I have success? I don't think so. How do you know that, Dennis? I show, I just showed you. It's almost vertical. They're going up. But we want to see it sustained, right? Like what if this is just, you know, a couple aberrations? No, that's terrific. So that's part one. So before even that though, like what if those three dots are just, just normal variation? You have no idea or it's just the way it looks exaggerated on a graph, right? So that's where the statistics of run charts are going to come in. But the simplistic idea is that if you have, um, seven values above that baseline which you started at, that's called a shift. Then you can look backwards and say, what happened over these seven past data points to figure out what really happened and did it work or not? But if you put that data in a four by four or two by two table, you'd never see the story. You just see the numbers average or weighted. So this run chart really tells the story of your intervention and the effect thereof. So it's really important that, again, pulling us back from our research training and all that, data needs to be displayed graphically for us in order to see things change in, in process improvement. No tables allowed. I think we should make that no table sign. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no table. No table. No chi-squares, no yeah, nothing. No chi-squares, no nothing, because you don't see the story. We told you quality improvement is continuous, so that means by definition, your y, your x-axis is going to be time right. on the bottom. So data has to be presented over time. End of story. End of story. To make a run chart, you need seven baseline data points. Mm-hmm. And then if you are... If you have over five points that are trending up, trending down, that's a trend. Mm-hmm. And if a shift occurs where there's more than six points sort of above, below the center of line, looking different, mm-hmm. then you, you can call it a shift, a shift in your outcomes. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you get this crazy peak one way or the other across your baseline data. And, you, and you're like, what the heck just happened? I had five in a row or six in a row, and then I have this huge spike point. So that's, those are like astronomical data points. What happened? 
that shifted it that one time. So you have to then look, oh my gosh, delay in medication, you know, medication time out of the pharmacy to the patient. Well, guess what? That spike reflected a flood in the pharmacy, you know? And so those are really important data points to look at what's happening around that process that can explain it. Otherwise, people say, my God, they really slacked off that week, Mm -hmm. you know? Which in essence, they didn't. In fact, they did extraordinary work. They were everywhere but the pharmacy distributing medications. So that's really important. And the other thing is, remember, you're not going to necessarily see QI change or effects in the moment. You really have to be patient and look backwards. So sometimes you're not just going to see after two weeks that you've made improvement. You might have to wait those six weeks or seven weeks. That doesn't mean you're not doing anything, but you can't go blurting out to Kurt Newman the, hey, I fixed discharge process, right? When you don't even have the sufficient data to show that. And the other thing that's really important about a run chart is labeling. And labeling when you do something and labeling what they are. So again, time, what you're measuring, that's really important. The title of your project is really important. But if you look at a run chart, if you look at an improvement, what the heck did you do to cause that improvement? I did education with the residents around blah, blah, blah. You mark that on your graph so you could see that that intervention actually had an effect or it didn't. So that's really important to annotate your graph so we can see what happened. It has to stand alone and tell the story without you explaining it. It really should be able, you should be able as a Somebody just walking up, oh, look at that. That's amazing. <laughs> Resident education really worked. Or talking to the nurses really helped. Or, you know, whatever that And then uh, the other chart that we were talking about is something called a control chart. Can you talk <laughs> about, favorite to chart. us a little bit more about that? This is my favorite chart in the whole oh, wide world. <laughs> so the run chart is a really good simplistic view, but not at all shabby. And we all start with that. Control chart adds a little bit more sophistication. So let's step back. Do you remember the normal distribution of a bell curve? Yes, I knew there were still key values. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it, we'll never admit it. All for you, Dennis. <laughs> so if you remember in your bell curve, remember normal distribution, if you go within the first plus and minus two sigma, that's capturing about 68% of your data, right? With a p-value of what? Less than 0.3. Are you going to buy that? No, no way, no, right? No. So if you go two sigma either way, so you're getting a total of four sigma, you get 95% of your data points. That's a p-value of 0.05. Are you happy with that? Much happier. Yeah, much happier. But then if you go three sigma either way, so then you're getting to six sigma, you get 99% of the data points within that. If you're outside that sigma, then you have a p-value of 0.01. Are you happy with that? Even happier. Right. So that's the whole thing. So now use that bell curve. Now turn it on its side and then extend it through the run chart that you just made. So it takes a little visualization. Take a look at the graphs in front of you. But then those sigma lines become your control limits, uh, the upper and lower control limits. And then you have some in between. But bottom line, this will tell you more information than you were able to tell from that run chart. So in addition to just that astronomical one data point or that shift or the trend, there's actually other rules. Like if I have more than two or three data points above the second standard deviation, then that might be a special cause, meaning something really special happened here. Everything else, if it doesn't fit these eight rules, it's all what we call common cause or i.e. noise or just normal variations and just ignore it. Oh, wow. 
And it's really important that we look at normal variation because we're dealing with humans in our system, right? We're not a bunch of widgets. We're a bunch of humans with processes that are imperfect and that just this fluctuation around a norm that doesn't cause harm or doesn't improve. It just is there. So I think it's really important to understand that normal variation in the system. It's allowed. It has to happen because we're, we're human and there's a variability. And that's a good point because to step back, the control charts actually derived, I believe, in the 1950s or 60s from Toyota factories or some type of industry where they really wanted to control, and that's the word control chart comes from, some widget. Everything has to be within a specific size. And so their goal was to keep everything within that common cause and learn from that special cause and say, no way. Whereas in healthcare, we want generally the opposite. We don't want to just maintain the status quo. We want to make things better, make it increase these data or decrease these data. So we really want those special causes so we can learn from them and then push them into the system even more. Do you feel like control charts instead of run charts can be almost discouraging because you just see non-significant change, non-common cause, common cause? They can be discouraging if you're not doing the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. So they're encouraging if you're all doing the right thing, but they're encouraging because even if it is all a common cause, that means you might learn that you need to be working on a completely different area than you had expected. And so it's not bad. Yeah. If it's learning not. bad. It's you're wasting good. Your time. Right. You're yeah. wasting you're your real. time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. If learning is encouraging, then, then you're good. Yeah. So the control chart helps us actually interpret the trends that we may or may not see Correct. and determine whether or not they truly are significant changes yes. or the daily variation. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So now we're done, right? We, we have our results. The world has changed. Ah, no. This is the hard part. This is where the hard part comes. This is where we have to get everybody on board that this is the change. And here's what, and we're going to do this because. So bringing people with you on this journey is one of your biggest challenges. We know there are going to be people who are early adopters and are going to jump right in and go, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. And then, no, we've always done it this way at Children's National and we're going to continue (laughs) to do this. Or, yeah, no, I'm not doing that just because. So this is where the hard part is, trying to get what we've determined with data in an efficient and scientific way, that this actually makes a difference to get people on board to try to change with you. That's culture. And there's a lot of psychology involved here as well. So the early adopters, the middle adopters, the late adopters, maybe you're just going to like say, screw the late adopters. I'm not going to focus on you, but you may want to focus on the early adopters, get some early wins, use them in your PDSA cycles first and say, if it works with them, if they're jived up to try my PDSAs and I can tweak it with this small group and show positive data, then I can get a better inroads with the next set of people. Who would have thought we'd be talking about influencers in medicine? Stop. That's true. <laughs> you need, wait, is that, you do look for people who sort of like have a voice. Have it's a actually a deliberate action. Yeah. yeah. It's a deliberate action. You're trying to look at people who people follow. Yeah. It's, it's a deliberate action. And we're struggling with that, with the well-being stuff. But that's, you're absolutely looking like, well, if Alice does it, I'm going to do it. 
Yeah, looking for influences. Yeah, someone who has a lot of mentees, right? Right, someone exactly. So we need we need to we need to do Instagram things and or TikToks around this because that's really like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, right? That's but enlightening. That, yeah, but it really is. Or let's say you just focus all your energy on that late adopter, and if everybody oh. sees that, oh my God, oh. Christy's doing it, so I am going to definitely do it. <laughs> it must be good. It must be good. <laughs> but if you think about it, we have a real life example, right, with vaccine adoption. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it vaccination adoption is perfect example of. I wanted it before, right? We, we wanted to sign up for the study, right? All of us, all the faculty yeah. here and all that. But then we've got people who are still like, <laughs> so you're spending a lot of time on the opposite end of that bell curve when you really need to get more people in the middle. That's what you're shifting for. Well, Doctors Corvo and Pavaleri, thank you again for that enlightening discussion. <laughs> I, know, I know I learned a whole lot about what uh, QI is and definitely also about what it is not. <laughs> Glad to be here. We're glad to be. Thanks for having us. We're so excited to have you all in class. If you're taking the Fellows College, we're looking forward to seeing you actually in person. So we're looking forward to this. 